Uh, excellent. Well, yeah, good afternoon again, and thank you again for having us. Uh, hello if you're watching on Zoom. Uh, it's really, I'm glad you can tune in uh, for, uh, to listen along this, this afternoon. Uh, so we're in Nehemiah chapter 7. Do you have that open in your Bibles if you want to be uh, looking through? I'll be referring to some of the verses as we go through. Uh, it's be great if you can have that open in front of you. Now I want to start with a question uh, this, this afternoon, and it's this. Do you have a favourite wall? Do you have a favourite wall? You know, one that's, I don't know, you, you really like that wall, and you think it's really useful or something like that. Maybe you do, but let's be honest, you're probably thinking, that's a weird question, isn't it? That is a strange question to ask. Most people, we don't look at walls and think, oh, that's a brilliant wall. We look at the stuff going on inside, and we think, that's the interesting bit. You know, if you go to the zoo, you don't sort of stand at the outside of the zoo looking at the walls thinking, I'm really glad I've been to the zoo, do you? You go inside, you look at the animals, you get excited, and it's a good day out. Or if you go and visit family and friends, you don't sit outside their house and look at the walls and go, oh, those are some excellent walls. You go inside, you spend time with your family and friends, you have fun together. We're following the story of Nehemiah. Uh, uh, in these uh, sermons as we go through uh, recent months and he has come to Jerusalem to rebuild the city wall to, 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 to resurrect the, the city wall and put it back in place and he's he's done a brilliant job he's united the people in their task he, he's got them building he's dealt with the opposition we've seen in the last few chapters both kind of from outside of the people and the, the internal conflict between the people and now, as we, we last week, at the end of chapter 6, in verse 15, we see that the wall is completed. The wall is completed. What an amazing moment that must have been. What an encouragement to see the wall come up that quickly. And actually, we see in verse 16 that it says at the end of verse 16 that they realized this work had been done with the help of our gods. And so the enemies around them were, were fearful because they realized God was with his people. This was done with God's help. And that was a great encouragement. So the wall's built. God's with his people. Shouldn't that be the end of Nehemiah? Shouldn't that, you know, surely that's it, isn't it? He's done what he's supposed to come, come to do. The job's, the job's done. Let's just leave the book there. But that's not what happens, is it? We get this rather strange chapter with lots of names and, and uh, a big historical record. And that's because actually the job wasn't quite finished yet. The wall was important. But actually what was going on inside was even more important. And, and what we see is actually that Jerusalem was quite empty. There weren't a lot of people living there. Uh, it wasn't a thriving, a bustling place just yet. And actually the, the important bit for Nehemiah now was, was those next steps. What's it going to look like to rebuild the city? What's it going to look like to grow the city into to a place that's flourishing? And actually it works quite similarly for the church today. It's been, it's been really lovely getting to know you all, and uh, we're really grateful for the welcome we've received. And we rejoice with you at how God has led you to this point and, uh, you know, guided you and helped you in, in starting the church and growing the church. But I'm sure you'd agree that it's not finished yet. The work isn't done. There's still more to be done. We still want to be growing in faith together. We still want to be sharing, sharing the gospel with people so they can hear about Jesus for themselves. So what we get in chapter 7 is these kind of first steps, the first priorities that Nehemiah does after the wall's built to kind of start really rebuilding the actual city inside. And there's these three key things that are really helpful priorities for us as well. So here's the first one. 
Find leaders who will protect the city. Find leaders who will protect the city. Look at verse 1 with me again. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the musicians and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. So the walls are finished. The gates are shut. You know, it's secure. They're protected from their enemies. But Nehemiah doesn't let his guard down. He, he immediately appoints these gatekeepers who would be there to kind of open and close the gates to make sure that the city stayed secure. Uh, and then he puts his brother, Hanani, in charge of the city. He would have been a bit like the mayor of the city. Uh, he would have been a trustworthy person, someone perhaps on the same page as Nehemiah, wanting the same things for the city. And then Hananiah, very similar name, is made the commander of the citadel. It's a grand title, isn't it? It's kind of like the captain of the guard, the person in charge of security. And together they're going to lead this, this city and protect this city uh, from, uh, from its opponents. It's a great description of the, these men, isn't it? Uh, he's described as a man of integrity. Men of integrity, they're people who are trusted, people who would do what they were told, and Nehemiah could rely on them. They're given these instructions about when to open and close the gates. Do you see that? Um, it would, it's basically to, to make sure that it stays secure uh, so that the gates aren't just left open for people to wander in and out of. You've got the gatekeepers opening it in the daytime so that they can see what's going on. They can stand up against uh, opponents against attack. No one can sneak up. But it's more than just reliable. Do you see they're also described, uh, Hananiah is described as a man who feared God more than most. Feared God. That, that's really vital uh, for the job. And that's Nehemiah's priority all the way along. We see he was a man who feared God. We see him doing all of this for God's glory, for, for God's name. And he was a man of great prayer. He was a man who trusted God and a man who feared God. And so he's looking for similar men to, to kind of put in place and, and look after the city. It was all about protecting the city for the sake of God. This is like the, the centre of their nation. The identity of the people was based on, you know, how the city was doing. It was important. So if we try and connect that through to today, I guess the question is, do we want similar leaders in our churches? Have we found leaders that will protect the church? Have we found leaders that will protect the church? What does that look like, I wonder? Well, I wonder if uh, anyone who's still at school... Put your hand up if you've got a favourite teacher. Do you have a favourite teacher at school? See a few hands going up. Any reasons why they're your favourite teacher? Can you shout out and tell me why they're your favourite? They're nice. They're nice. Same? Okay, well there you go. You've heard it. They're nice. There's lots of reasons, aren't there, why we might have a favourite teacher. They're nice. They, they look after you well. They care for you. Maybe they're fair with the class and you can trust them. But I guess most importantly, you want a teacher that's going to teach you the truth. That's going to tell you the truth. If you if you had a teacher that taught you maths and said 2 plus 2 equals 5, you'd be a bit worried, wouldn't you? They're not teaching you what they should. And similarly, if for those of you who are working, you want a boss that's going to be trustworthy and honest and dependable. And it's the same in the church. You want to appoint elders who are men of integrity, who fear God, as it says there in the passage. One of the tasks of the elders is to protect the church. 
And that, that really happens by making sure that the truth is what is preached. The truth is what is preached. That we stick to what the Bible says rather than, you know, just doing what we think is best. Making sure that Jesus is right at the center. So that's a good question to ask as you think about appointing me, as you think about your eldership. Are they men who fear God more than most? It's essential. It's an essential part of the job because actually, if you, if, if the elders don't fear God more than men, it can all go wrong. You can, you can be tempted to, to change things just to make people more happy and, and to please people. Actually, sadly, if you look around, you see many churches that have kind of wandered away from the truth a little bit because they, they kind of don't want to offend the world. They don't want to accept, upset them. So they kind of change what they teach to make it acceptable. They're not fearing God above men. They're not protecting the church. So let me encourage you to pray. Pray for your elders and pray for those uh, who are seeking to protect the church, that they'd be reliable and, and have integrity and they'd fear God. Of course, it's not for the sake of them or for the sake of the church, it's for the sake of God's glory, like it was for the city. But actually, do you notice at the end of verse 3, it's not just the job of the elders. Look at the end of verse 3, it says, Also, appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. So the people living in the city, they were there to protect it as well. Where they lived, make sure, you know, part, part of the wall, they were there to, to kind of keep watch uh, and stand guard. It's kind of like a really serious neighbourhood watch, uh, making sure they stand up against attack. And they, that was their responsibility. And actually, so if we bring that to today, there's a responsibility for everyone in the church to, to seek to protect the church. And that works by not just accepting everything you hear. It works by testing it and checking that this is actually what the Bible says, that this is the truth. Making sure it's right, giving glory to God through that. Uh, there's a verse about the Bereans in, in Acts 17, verse 11, that says, They received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's what we want to do as a church, to examine the scriptures, to make sure that we, we are following the truth. So that's the first thing Nehemiah does. He, he finds leaders that are going to protect the city. What does he do next? Secondly, bring people into the city. Bring people into the city. That's my second heading. Uh, look at verse 4. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I said, didn't I? It's all well and good having this lovely wall, this really impressive wall, but actually inside was not all that impressive at the minute. They, you know, there were few people there, there weren't many houses, just not many people living there. They'd been living in their towns, on their own land, around the land, on their own sort of fields and land inside Israel. Um, and so what Nehemiah knew was we need to get people into the city, we need to draw people in, we need to, to, them to move in and rebuild and make it their home. Now how do you start by doing that? Well, you see what he does. He's led by God, it says in verse 5, to kind of make a census, to kind of make this list of people who could come uh, and live there. And as he's kind of preparing to do that, he's obviously searching around, and he finds this genealogical record. He finds something really important. Now, I don't know how you felt as we read that uh, this morning, as we looked through his list of names. It doesn't look super interesting, does it? It's kind of a, this long list of names that are very hard to pronounce. So well done, Barry, for, for doing that. <laughs> um, 
And actually, the, the whole rest of the chapter, 67 verses, is this list. And it's a list from about 100 years ago. It's there in Ezra chapter 2 as well. It's kind of repeated. Uh, it, this 100-year-old list. Why is Nehemiah so excited by this? You know, what, what's going on? Why is he so excited? You know, let me try and explain uh, like this. We were at a children's park uh, this week with the boys. And uh, there was this little sort of Wendy house with stairs up to it. And this, this girl was standing at the top of the stairs shouting, Come and join the Treehouse Club. Come and join the Treehouse Club. Everyone's welcome. Come on in. Just come and join. Everyone's an equal member. It's going to be wonderful. And the boys kind of went up and sat there and were all really happy as they were part of something. Uh, it was very cute. And it reminded me, actually, of the kind of what me and my brother would do the opposite. We would make these sort of secret societies and we'd have passwords and we'd kind of, you know, uh, be very clear about who's allowed to join and who's not. And, you know, as seven-year-old boys, the, the rules were basically no girls allowed. That was what we would do, you know. But there's a, there's a difference there, isn't there? Everyone welcome, or you kind of, you're, you're trying to make the list a bit more secure, or uh, a bit tighter. And Nehemiah could have done that. As he rebuilt the city, he could have said, look, whoever's out there, just come and join the city, come and rebuild, come and be part of this. Uh, anyone's welcome. But actually, that, that would not have been the right move. He needed to know who was part of God's people. He needed to know who were who they could prove that their ancestors were Jewish, that they'd always been part of God's people. And that was really important. Remember, last time I was here, I was speaking on chapter 5, and we saw the anger of Nehemiah when God's people were kind of exploiting each other, they were taking advantage of each other, and it wasn't they weren't uniting. Actually, he wanted a city full of God's people that were united as God's people together, then their national identity was kind of being rebuilt. We see in the Old Testament, actually, the promises made that, that God makes were there for Abraham's descendants. Abraham's descendants, the, the Jewish nation. It says in Deuteronomy, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You're different to all the peoples around you. You're holy. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. They, were, they had this special chosen role as God's people. And that meant as they followed followed God, they were, it was a great blessing. And it meant uh, uh, that when they got it wrong, when they failed to be holy, when they turned away from God, they faced judgment and they were sent away into exile. This is, you know, they've come back now. But that's where they were sent. We see God's mercy as he restores them in some sense to the lands. So the point is, it was vital to restore the kind of God's people together uh, as an identity, as God's people, as one in this city. And that's where this document comes in. This was a kind of starting point for him. Because, you know, there was a hundred years ago, they'd made this really accurate list about all the people who had come back to the land to rebuild the temple, to rebuild uh, the land itself. Uh, and so Nehemiah could start there. It was a starting point. Go, right. Okay, so the, the people recorded, they may not be alive now, it's a hundred years later, so probably not. But their children, their grandchildren, they can say, look, we're on the list, we're part of this, we're part of God's people. And it meant that they could be involved in restoring Jerusalem and, and making it a, a great city again. We'll see more of that happening later in the book, I won't say too much more. But let's, let's try and apply this to today. What does it mean for the church? Because the church is made up of God's people. 
people who belong to him. And so in the same way, we should want to bring people into the church. We should want to bring people into the church. Uh, we want to see more people becoming God's people. We want to, to see it, the church flourishing all over the world. So does that mean, does that mean that, you know, we have to kind of prove our Jewish identity, that we have to go back to some list and prove that, you know, our, our grandparents were on it? No. Of course not. The, the good news of Jesus is that actually he died for anyone who believes in him. And it says in Galatians 3, it says, verse 26, in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. You are all children of God through faith. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And so we see in the New Testament, it's no longer about uh, being Jewish. It's about people who have put their trust and faith in Jesus alone. Recognising that he died on the cross to take away the punishment for our sin. To make us uh, part of his family, to forgive us and adopt us. Uh, as his brothers and sisters, to make us part of God's family. Isn't that wonderful that anyone who trusts in Jesus is part of that family? And surely that's what we should want, isn't it, for, for KCC uh, in the years ahead, is for people, more and more people, to, to, to bring people into the church, to see it grow and flourish, and to find a place where people are accepted not because of what they've done, but because that they're forgiven by Jesus, because they've turned to him in faith. To be a church that gives God glory by how they live, by how they trust him, how they give him praise. So if you are a Christian here uh, this afternoon, there's a challenge here. To, to be sharing the good news of Jesus with people. To go and share the gospel, to, to, to show the gospel and how we live. Uh, to show the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. We, we can trust, actually, that God works even in our weak efforts. You know, it's not... It's not down to us. God's the one who works through us. And uh, he works even in our weak efforts to do great things. So we can trust him to do that. And it's part as well, isn't it? It's recognising that we want to be united as God's people together. We want to love each other as Christ loves us. So that actually, uh, we, we're all saved by grace. We, it's recognising that, that, that we're, we're all together in this. We're all united as one family. Did you notice though in the list uh, that, that Barry read, verse 61 to 65, we see that some people couldn't prove that they belonged to God's people. They couldn't prove it. They couldn't be part of the nation in the same way. And actually it is the same today. Not everyone who turns up on a Sunday is just automatically part of God's people. It's those who truly trust in Jesus, those who truly believe in him, those who are committed to following him. And that means there might be people here this morning or people on Zoom who, who are not part of God's family. And, and maybe you've just always felt like going to church is, is enough. It's been, you know, it's really good. I make it every Sunday. I've done a bit of good to earn some favour with God. I can go home again happy. The Bible says, no, actually, we cannot do enough to save ourselves. We must come to Jesus. We must turn to him, confessing our sin, saying sorry, putting our trust in him. And so if, you, if you're not sure you've ever quite done that, made that step, come and talk to me afterwards. Maybe speak to one of the other elders. I'm sure they'd love to talk more. But I guess you might be sitting here going, do you know what, I know I'm not a Christian. 
I know I've never accepted the love of Jesus. And, you know, that's just not, not what I've decided. But you see, actually, this is showing what an amazing privilege it is to be one of God's people, to be one of his family. There's lots of people who wander through life trying to fit in in different areas. And the world, you know, it requires lots of us, doesn't it? And it encourages us to, to identify with different groups or in different ways. And it always ends up with us, you know, seeking more and it requires more of us. And we never feel like we really belong, we really fit in properly. But actually, when you come to Jesus, when you come to Jesus in repentance and faith, you really do belong. You are welcomed and valued and loved and accepted into his family. And that's not because of how good you are. It's because you're not good. It's because you recognize, oh, I'm, I'm sinful. I don't deserve this, but I'm trusting Jesus and I'm trusting his unconditional love and his grace rather than trying to earn it in any way. That is amazing, isn't it? When you think about the thought of belonging to God's family, the love that, that Jesus shows us. What a privilege that is. And it's a, it's a place we do genuinely belong. It gives us reason to exist, reason to, to, uh, you know, to live each day. And so if you're not a Christian, if you've never really thought about that, again, you can come home to him today. You can turn to him today. You can talk to him. And if you've still got questions, again, find someone. Ask them, search, seek uh, the truth. My final point uh, this afternoon, uh, yeah, it's up there. Keep God at the centre. Keep God at the centre. We've seen, haven't we, as we look through this book, that Nehemiah, he has this. This is what he wants to do. He wants to keep God at the centre of God's people. That's what his, his driving desire is to do that. We see it in his prayers. We see it in his building work. We see it as he trusts God. Uh, and we see that, actually, he does that in verse 1. We see him trying to point people, God's people in the right way. 7 verse 1, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. So it's not just the gatekeepers to protect the city. He appoints these musicians or singers uh, and the Levites. The singers were there to, to lead God's, God's community in worship, in adoration, to point people, to remind people that actually it's not just about living in a city, it's about the fact that we're here together for the glory of God, that God should be at the centre. And the Levites, they were the tribe of God's people that were specially sort of set apart to, to do that. They would have served in the temple, they would have been priests and, and taught God's words. They would have served in practical ways around the temple. They were vital to keep people remembering that actually they needed to keep God at the centre to facilitate that. So Nehemiah, you know, sets out very clearly, making sure that worship is right there in the middle of, of the city. Actually, the record points to something else. You see at the end, uh, in verses 70 through 72, we see the people who, who returned at first were really generous and really sacrificial in what they gave to, to the, the building work for the temple. All these thousands of derricks of gold. I looked it up and it's something like, you know, 10 or 11 million pounds in today's money uh, worth of gold. And that would have gone a long, long way uh, in rebuilding the temple. And you think, you know what, they could have kept the money for themselves. They had their towns to rebuild. They had kind of resettling in the lands. But in some sense, you see, their priority was worship. Their priority was making sure the temple could re be rebuilt. Making sure that God was at the centre of the nation. Making sure that he received the glory that 
that he deserved. And clearly Nehemiah was kind of maybe picked up on that and was keen to see the same things happening uh, in his day. Making sure the temple was supported, making sure that actually the nation could be led in worship, that they could keep God at the centre. I'm not going to say too much more because there's lots of great stuff coming in the chapters ahead. As you see what happens as as God's people hear the scriptures read and they come in repentance and faith and there's some great encouragements, there's some challenges as they kind of work all that through. Uh, These are just the first steps of Nehemiah. But it does leave us, doesn't it, with a challenge uh, as we we finish uh, this afternoon. Something to reflect on this week perhaps, that as individuals, as a church, are we keeping God? at the centre of our lives? Are we keeping him at the centre? Do we put worship of God before everything else? Like it says in Romans, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true and proper worship. We're called to worship him with everything. We're called to live our lives in a way that shows that God is at the centre of our lives. And so there's a challenge for each of us to, to think about how we spend our time and our money and our efforts What does that show about our priorities? And actually everyone needs to think about that from the youngest to the oldest. If you're one of the young ones here, you need to think about what, you know, what does it look like to, to, how should I be spending my pocket money? How should, you know, am I completely preoccupied by this love of sports or this, this, I really, you know, desperately want this latest toy or something really exciting and, and it just preoccupies everything. It becomes bigger than God's. For the young people, it can be really easy to, to start thinking that with your studies. Especially at the end of a year, you know, you've got the exams coming up and it's great to do well and, and it's important. But actually God needs to be at the centre. He's more important than, than anything else. That's one thing. There's, there's, there's all sorts of areas, aren't there? And, and for all of us, we need to think that through. How we spend our money, how we spend our time, what we what we do with our priorities, and and where where God is placed in that. I, I was challenged a few months back to think about you know reflecting on your priorities in life and what is it? What do you prioritize and what do you never miss? You know what are the, what's the things in life that you never miss? And I was like a little bit like, well, I always try and listen to the Formula One if I can. You know, is that going to become you know too big in my mind in my heart? Am I giving God glory? It's something to think about, isn't it? You know, what are those things you never miss? What does that say about your heart? It's challenging. Our hearts often try and put other things before God's. We need to keep coming back to his love and his grace. As it says in 1 John, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's the truth. If we're trusting in Jesus, we are his children. We're in his family. We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. The future is secure. We're in his family. Which means we don't need to put anything else first. We can keep him at the centre, trusting the gospel, loving him in return, and doing that in his strength rather than, you know, trying to do it ourselves and trying to prove ourselves. No, we do that trusting the spirit. We do that by his grace. So, there you go, Nehemiah 7. It's not, not a chapter full of memory verses that you're going to go away and, and memorise perhaps. But there's some good things up there for us to think about. There's this call to, to think about our heart, think about how we live for God, how we should be seeking to bring people into the church, how we should be seeking to protect the church. 
So why don't we pray and ask for God's help uh, as we think about those things. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for this chapter of the Bible. It does seem like a strange one at first, but we thank you that you speak through your word all the time, and there are many things to encourage us with this afternoon. And would you help us to be uh, people who protect the church, who seek your truth and, and, and seek to discern your truth always? Would you help us to be people who bring people into the church, who are passionate about sharing our faith and, and We pray that people would just see the difference in our lives by the way we live. And would you help us think about our own hearts uh, and whether we are putting you first. And and if we're not, lead us in repentance uh, and take us back to the cross and remind us of of all that you've done for us first. Please be with us, Lord. And thank you that we now get to share the Lord's table together. And and what a great way to think about how we we keep you at the centre of our lives. So we thank you for that as well, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.